Hot Tub Beers is meant for entertainment purposes with a side of beer education. Each episode may contain offensive and off-color humor. Our intended audience is people 21 years of older who love beer and laughter. Hot Tub Beer fans, are you looking to buy, sell, or lease a home with or without a hot tub? Hugh Height, the Texas beer realtor, is who you need to call to help with all your real estate needs. Hugh knows hops and Hugh knows houses. That's txbeerrealtor.com or 281-939-8182. Pop the top on the old jacuzzi, a rain or sunshine, we're not too choosy. Daytime, nighttime, we're always home. When you drop on by on your mobile phone to hot tub beers, embers, ales, and lagers. Hot tub beers, slip on into the water. Take one down, pass it around for tasting. Stouts and pilsners, box and weeds, having hot tub beers, just my friends and me. Welcome back to Hot Tub Beers, where I'm not muted anymore. This is uh, take two of the intro today, so because we. Uh, I was muted earlier. Now I'm not. <laughs> so we're in the uh, we're in the hot tub with uh, creator, writer, songwriter, artist uh, Kent Honey Boyden Nelson, creator of the Hot Tub Beers theme song. Welcome, Kent. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. So looking forward to today. Looking forward to the conversation. Looking forward to drinking some beers. Um, we we got a brewery that we're going to go through their beers today. That's going to be kind of a, a local brewery. Uh, they do a lot of live music. I don't know if you've ever played there or not, but uh, have you ever played at Fortress Brewing? I have not. I have played at Carbog Brewery, and I have played at St. Arnold's Brewery back in the day when it was over in the old warehouse. Okay. Back off of Mangum. But those are the only two breweries that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, right. Well, Fortress, get your stuff together. John O'Hara, why have you not hired Kent Honeyboy Nelson yet? I was leading up to that question. I was going hoping to hoping to score some gigs out of this. Uh, yeah, well, this that's going to be our goal, and we uh, we really like to bully people via podcast. Uh, that we really like to call them out to let them know that they're cowards if they don't do what we tell them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're going to go ahead and say, you should be booking Kent Honeyboy Nelson if you don't have the if you don't have the. Uh, the creator of the Hot Tub Beer theme song in your venue. Are you even a venue? There's something wrong with it. Yeah. There's, yeah. You're, not a, you're not really a venue. Yeah, you're not really a venue. Mm-hmm. So it's Thistle's, like a podcast without a cease and desist. Thistle's not a venue then? Thistle's not a venue? Well, okay. Well, because I mean, Kent Honeyboy has not played. Well, the, okay. You know what? While we're, while we're already here, okay. one minute and 35 seconds in, yes. this is my formal invitation to pay you to come play at Thistle Draft Shop March 19th for our crawfish boil. March 19th. I believe we're open then. Done. Done deal. Nice. Done. Look, hey, cheers. cheers one one booking already made, and we're we're less than two minutes into the episode. So we're sitting on some uh, some Lone Star to lubricate the conversation here a little bit. So, Kent, this is something that I've always had in my fridge. It's always been the throwback. No matter how deep into craft beer I've gotten, there's always been Lone Star there. Um, so 
this is one every time we have a new guest on the show we like to ask them what was your lone star what's your throwback what's the one that's always in the fridge that feels like home uh i, I well lone star of course what you didn't say i needed to mention the national beer of texas amen so where i whereas i i don't have any Lone Star stocked in my fridge right now. I, I guess probably uh, over the last few years, I've kind of gone more toward uh, uh, Mexican beers, you know, Dos Equis, okay. Modelo, and and then more well-known uh, uh, breweries, you know, like we talked about Carbach and, uh, and, and St. Arnold's, and I'll usually have one of each of those in there. Nice. nice. So I'm trying to, uh, trying to make, my, my, uh, make my collection a little bit... Uh, Eclectic or, or interesting. So go. we're here to expand the portfolio. Yes, we, that's yeah. why I'm here. We're going to expand your portfolio today. It's going to be kind of fun. And I, I, this is always fun to me. So somebody who's not used to drinking IPAs or not used to drinking barrel-aged porters, which is what we're going to end with today, um, getting your perspective and trying it and seeing if you like it or if it's just completely horrible and just having fun and laughing about it mm-hmm. the entire time. And so this is this is our segment for the non-beer nerds. We try to... We try to get the introductory as well, but I think we forget sometimes to make sure we're introductory and we just kind of surpass that into the beer nerd category. And I think it's awesome getting that fresh perspective again, getting that like, okay, we've all been here before. I love it. Thank you for being here. Yeah, absolutely, man. I consider myself a a, a somewhat beer aficionado when I was younger, like you guys, I I would try to import beers and you mm-hmm. know back when i when i'm 20 my 20s and 30s you didn't you know that's what hey, i'm going to try this whatever this british ale or this german wheat or what you know the, these imported beers but nowadays you have the local craft stuff which is it's a much more interesting time to be a beer drinker i guess it is that's kind of cool i'm glad you mentioned that like that was one of my intros into it because i had a buddy that i was a uh I was an assistant coach at a high school, and this guy was the head coach. And one of the ways that we we bonded, still close friends with him today, was we'd like to get together and drink a bunch of beer. But he was very into – this was – before, I think St. Arnold's was on the scene, but this would have been like early 2000s. he was all about, hey man, let's try this Newcastle Brown, or I love this 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 Honey Brown that we've got over here. And so trying these different beers that were imports that we didn't necessarily know too much about the local scene until it started exploding. How did you get into it, Jake? That's such a tough question for me. Uh, I grew up in it. I guess would be the best way to put it. So St. Arnold opened up uh, old location, nineteen ninety four. There's pictures of me in front of uh, Brock's um, rolls, the the tie-dye rolls uh, from like 1996. I used to visit there when I was younger. Things were a lot different then. Uh, my dad decided to start home brewing. I want to say it was somewhere before I was 12 because it was, it was at the old house and he had so many kegs explode that they were like running out of the shed and my dog, uh, Toby, would just <laughs> eat it up. And I might literally just sit there and just drink all day. Uh, I, m- my mom worked at St. Arnold from what 2008 to 2016 I volunteered at St. Arnold from probably 2009 2010 all the way up to 2016 or 15 Um, that and I've I don't know it just kind of happened for me man I worked with uh, a lot of craft uh, uh, menus like at Ritual we had a a 40 tap rotation Um, I don't know. I just been so involved with it for so long that I just it's just I part don't of know. your heritage or something. Your mom works at St. Arnold's, right? This is yeah, part of your part of your, uh, your your it's in your, your DNA. Upbringing. Yeah, my yeah, dad would DNA, that's what my dad would go and uh, trade beer all over the all over the world, and 
uh, one of my favorite beers, right, was uh, uh, West Vlettern. I'm telling you, if you ever get your hands on a true West Vlettern, phenomenal. It's a Trappist uh, uh, Monk Brewery, mm-hmm. and just to get the beer alone is uh, ache and a pain. It's not distributed. You have to pick it up from the brewery. You can only buy once a year, and you're limited to how much you can buy. And it was just a blonde ale, and it was the best beer of my entire life. I do like a blonde ale, so I'm yeah. going to try one of those. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So we're going to go to a brewery in local spring area. So the Fortress, like I mentioned before, they do have a lot of live music. They're just around the corner on Spring Cypress. They're like three or four miles away from the Hot Tub Central. And so we're going to start with the Belgian Wit. Now, they open in spring of 2018. Jake, you you know the owners, correct? I'm familiar with John and Lauren, and I keep forgetting his name. That makes me so sad. But, yes, I'm very familiar with them. So... John was, is a badass, by the way. Well, when I was reading online, like three of them are from Canada, hey? Are they really? Yeah, and the other one's from Tomball. I think they're all oil and gas. And so they and so they got together to open this brewery, and they started to open it like near the beginning of the pandemic, or not not near the, I guess, well, near the beginning of the pandemic. They're, they're looking, they couldn't find a spot, finally settled on this one spot, and uh, just kind of really went with this logo. There's a... Ski Mountain, Canada, that a lot of them went to go visit when they were younger, called Fortress Mountain. Yeah. Uh, and so they put that together and kind of, like, wanted a little piece of Canadian home here in Spring, Texas. As many beers as I've had with John O'Hara, I've never known that. Well, I was reading the Houston Beer Chronicle. Nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, what this is, Kent, this is a Belgian wit. This is the Watchtower wit. So this one is going to have notes of orange peel, notes of coriander. So it is a Belgian wheat beer. Um, it says it's dry hopped with citrus hops as well. 5.2% alcohol, 14 IBUs. So 14 IBUs is going to be a measure of how bitter it is. So it's very low on the bitter scale. So it's not going to be near an IPA level. So this is a style of beer. If you went back and listened to our other episode, Cellus Brewing, that Pierre Cellus kept alive and brought to Texas. And all of these other beers are kind of descended from that, that line. Um, so on the nose, there is a lot of orange. I smell the orange, definitely. Yeah. The citrus of some kind. So this would have been like, so Blue Moon would have been like a commercial version of what a Belgian wit is going to be. It is correct? exactly what it is. Yeah. That's where they got the recipe with Celis. They stole it from Celis? Well, I wouldn't say stole. Because they, they're all of Miller Coors. They, Did Miller Coors interpretation of Celis? They partnered together for quite a few years before Miller Coors shut them down. Got Same it. with uh, Hogarden. uh the, the classic Hogarden Wit uh, yeah. was, uh, I think, originally a spinoff of Celis. Once again, they partnered with them, and that's how it been created. So as we're, as we're tasting this, I'm going to sip on the beer. But, Kent, the reason I was getting in contact with you about the theme song is because you're a musical artist, and this isn't something new for you, right? So you go and you play shows. you got your band Honey Boy Nelson. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been playing the guitar most of my life, probably since my I was a teenager. Uh, but as far as playing playing live venues and stuff, probably at least the last fifteen to twenty years, I guess. Okay. Uh, and we do have a full band set up. We also do like a, uh, a duo solo thing. So we're kind of we do we do cover songs, we do original songs, and we we kind of we kind of versatile as far as what kind of uh, what kind of entertainment we can provide as far as the. Uh, the music, but I, yeah, I've been playing most of my life, and, and I have two albums that are on Spotify, and and uh, 
other platforms that, uh, that I've produced over the last several years, full-length albums. Uh, and uh, I guess got into the songwriting more probably within the last 10, 15 years, that kind of thing. Okay. And so what, what drew you to music in the first place? Well, my dad played the guitar, still plays the guitar. Yeah, actually, still he's still better than me. He's eighty three years old. He's still better than me. He's still better than yeah. you. That's a rite of passage, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. So I guess I kind of grew grew up playing. You know, he taught me to play, and then I, you know, got into uh, playing with friends and jamming with friends and taking some lessons. And then I got out of college. I kind of got more. I wouldn't say serious about it as far as pursuing a career, but enough to where I was, you know, starting to play and play in venues and make a little money here and there. And, yeah. And. Uh, writing songs and more of a hobby than anything else but uh not didn't do it uh every weekend so such that it became a job and so you're you're a texas guy you said you grew up in the cypher area that's right and so what are your you know being a texas guy growing up in kind of like this northwest houston area what are your musical influences um i guess probably i I would say uh local texas artists willie nelson lyle lovett very local yeah, uh, um, I guess uh, sort of singer songwriter types like that, and and uh, classic country, and and uh, we play a lot of that, and classic rock as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess probably I was I was more interested in kind of songwriters like Bob Dylan and, and that th- those kind of uh, those kind of artists more so than uh, I never did really get too too into the heavy heavy stuff. Other than Led Zeppelin, I was a kind of, I was a pretty big Led Zeppelin fan. But other than that, I was it was usually pretty mellow stuff I was into. How can you not be a Zeppelin fan? I mean, let's yeah. be real. I, I don't yeah. care what kind of music you listen to. Mm. You're a Zeppelin fan. You exactly. Well, I think that's one of the things that, that's part of the, like I love good beer. I love good music, and that's one thing that kind of crosses the bridges. Like it didn't really matter what genre of music you like or what style of beer you like. If it's good, it's good. You you can't really turn it away, for, you know. If uh, I'm a country music artist, but if Zeppelin's good, Zeppelin's fucking good. Right. Oh yeah. yeah, that's a that's an excellent comparison. I think it's the same same with beer. There we go. And so, you said y'all cover a lot of songs as well. Mm-hmm. What's your What's your favorite song to cover? Okay, people ask me that a lot, and and I never know how to answer it. But I would guess I would say the. The songs that we do, as far as picking our cover songs, I've always thought, okay, I'm going to pick a song not just because I like the song, but it's going to be because it's going to be a pretty popular song. You got to have I mean, Brown Eyed Girl. We do Brown Eyed Girl. Yep. We do Folsom Prison Blues. You know, we do. But oh, nice. the, the songs that, and it's, it's also not going to be okay. Well, this song is real popular. Everybody likes it. If I don't like it, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. But you know, these songs you mentioned, you know, we're going to do. I've done Margaritaville a million times, but I'm going to keep doing it. Not because everybody wants to hear it, but because I like the song. It's still a good Hell song. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and we'll branch out and do. You know, we'll do some originals, and we'll do some more obscure stuff, too. We'll, play, we'll do a lot of requests. You know, a lot of times we'll, okay. we'll do pretty good about throwing out, you know, do you know any Leonard Skinner? Do you know any? Yeah, we, we can probably pull, pull that off. So. I, was, I was about to ask, how many times has Freebird been requested? There's always some wise guy at the bar that yells, "Do Freebird," <laughs> and we've gotten to where we'll we we'll do it. We'll go into it just oh, yeah. to, just to show them. He's like, "Okay, you want to hear Freebird? We'll do we'll do a really bad version of Freebird." <laughs> really bad version of Freebird. <laughs> won't ask for it again. Have you, you ever been what? heckled over your version of Freebird? 
No, they usually just start cheering, you know, because yeah. really they're hearing the song. They're, yeah. Hey, that, that guy's doing Freebird. So and we'll, we'll get about halfway through it and segue into something else as usual. What we do. I love that you say that you, you do a really bad version of Freebird. So I forgot what band it was, but I was somewhere that was doing a lot of covers. And somebody, of course, inevitably, Freebird, Freebird. So they said, okay, we'll do Freebird. And what they all did is they all got up and switched instruments and just did their best to play it. And it was <laughs> awful, but it was amazing watching them all get up and just like, eh, we're going to make it work because you asked. We're going to try that. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> so you you play locally. What are some of the venues that you play locally? You mentioned uh, you'd gone to St. Arnold's and Carbuck. What are yeah, some other places? Yeah, it's been a few years. We played at Carbuck many years ago. Uh, we used to play a, be- a benefit at the old St. Arnold's that you were talking about earlier, Jake, mm-hmm. uh, every year for a fundraiser for Camp Sweeney. Uh, but as far as locally, we play – late these days we're mostly playing at – uh, uh, Swanee's Grill over here off of uh, Cutting Road in, in uh, okay. 96. We play there once a month. Uh, we played a Main Street Crossing up here in Tomball. Oh, cool. Many that times. was the first place I ever played. Is I love that. Yeah. Shakes had a band. Well, <laughs> musician yeah. is a pretty loose way of yeah. saying it. Do I like playing? Absolutely. No, this was like 2000 and gosh. Five. I think it was mm-hmm. 2005 in this mm-hmm. itty-bitty, I say itty-bitty, it was like an eight-member ska band all in high school. Nice. At that point, we were horrible, <laughs> but I love to see that uh, Main Street Crossing is still opening yeah. and still doing that. They play. They have some pretty big names that play there. Oh, yeah. They get some good touring acts, and we played there many times. We did a CD release there, I think it was in 2016 for my first my first album. We did a CD release there. I played there probably, I don't know, seven or eight times. Nice. Uh, and then, of course, we, we played at the Continental Club downtown. We played at uh, we played a show at the Monkey Duck. We did a CD release at the Monkey Duck one time. Uh, Firehouse Saloon. Uh, in this area, uh, we used to play most, most Pub a lot over here. Okay. Most, in fact, I was just in there the other day, and I was, I was hitting, up, uh, hitting up the manager who's a friend of mine. I'm, I'm going to make him listen to this podcast. I'm going to plug his show so he, yeah. he can book me another gig. They quit doing live music <laughs> for a while after, after the uh, COVID and all that stuff. So they're starting to do live music uh, again. So we're, we're trying to get – we used to play there on, on occasion. So yeah. those are the kind of the local places. But these days we're pretty, pretty much just playing once a month and trying to, trying to get, get more gigs lined up. We played – during COVID, I mentioned we played a lot of block parties uh-huh. and private parties and that kind of thing. Uh, what do they call them? Super spreaders. We played some su- uh, super-, <laughs> <laughs> super spreaders. <laughs> <Just> nice. <laughs> no, we would play. Uh, you know, set up on the set up on the cul-de-sac and do that. So we, we we did it. We did some of those. That's a lot of fun. That would be just me, or maybe me and my bass player, or my drummer, or something like That's that. That's kind of cool, though, man. Because you know, the people were. I mean, we were entertainment starved during the, the pandemic. We're stuck yeah. inside the house. You, you know, you're staring at a screen all the time, or yeah. reading a book, or yeah. staring at a screen, reading a book, and drinking a beer, as the case was at. Uh, in, at, at the McGuire House, and so it's uh, that, that's pretty cool. I didn't even think about that, but little neighborhood concerts that'd have been a fun way just to get out, yeah. stay you know a little bit away from everybody, mm-hmm. so you don't you know completely succumb to the pandemic, yeah. and still enjoy a good time with people around you. Yeah, we did several of those, and and even after you know the COVID kind of thing let up, we we continued to do a few. In fact, I'm, I got a line one up here as soon as the weather starts warming up, a line one up here locally, and. So yeah, that's one of the things. But as far as you were talking about uh, live music, uh, a lot of people who made a living to live music really suffered at that. You know, it was for me. It's a second job, a, a hobby. Right. But I knew a lot of musicians that that's you know, they were they were up the creek, man, because they were they couldn't get gigs because nobody was booking and nobody was open. But you know, l- luckily things are things are better now. But uh, uh, it's a t- it's a tough way to to make to make a living, but it's a lot of fun way to 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 have a 
have a second job or have a hobby. And so this is going to get to as well. Like, so this is just kind of a second job or hobby to you, the musician part of it, right? Mm-hmm. You recently retired from your main gig, which is education, yep. which I want to get into in the next segment. But uh, so where you play, is this just going to be remain a hobby and just have fun in retirement? Or do you want to keep releasing albums and maybe turn it into something more? I would I would like to keep keep playing and, and, and booking more places to play. And, and that's kind of what I'm starting to come out and start to do more now and uh and i'm still writing some songs and i've got some material to put to release another album and doing some home recording and that kind of thing so i want to keep it going as a i don't want to ever say it's going to be a way to you know be famous and be a millionaire and that kind of thing but but uh it's 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 certainly a fun way to keep myself playing and keep myself active and 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 enjoy and enjoy enjoy my life, you know that way. Well, you're you're on Hot Tub Beers podcast now, so fame might be inevitable. Oh, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah Jake and I are, we're on uh, we're on the shooting star to stardom. Right? I just want to know if it's if if it's a good reason or a bad reason. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't know. We think it's good, but are we are we going to have that that you know bad publicity is good publicity kind of. Well, I think at the, I think at the end any of the pl- day, what is the saying? Any publicity is good publicity. Absolutely, yeah. somebody said. I don't know absolutely, said that. yeah, you're absolutely right. I think at the end of the day, like we're we're kind of taking this podcast and seeing how far we could take it, but it, but we're having fun, like what you said, exactly. like and the the relationships that we're building, the people we get to hang out with, the conversations we get to have. These are things that we're going to have for the rest of our lives. Whether this thing blows up and we become, you know semi-rich and famous or at least supplement something uh, but at the end of the day man, we've had a bunch of fun mm-hmm. and, and thank you for coming and being a part of this experience mm-hmm. now as far as being part of the experience the beer you have in your hand tell me what you're thinking mm-hmm. well you, you one of you guys mentioned that it was a it was a takeoff of a, a, a kind of like a blue moon uh, and here, here was my question before I answered my question. I, I like the beer, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a hot thumbs up. But with, with a, is this a beer that you would, like I know with a blue moon, you would drop an orange in there, right? You would drop an orange peel. This one tastes like it already has the orange peel in it. Oh, good so question. Just, just to back it up just a little bit. So blue moon is a takeoff of Celis. Okay, and right, this right. would be a takeoff of the the style That's Celis style. brought back from the the grave. Mm-hmm. So this is not necessarily takeoff blue moon, uh, but. Could you put an orange in this? Absolutely. Uh, the way I look at all of it is your beer, your experience, your life. You freaking enjoy it the way you want. But speaking pairing-wise, yes, pairing-wise, it would absolutely work together. It's, it's very citrusy as it is. I'm, yeah. I like it. It's very refreshing. It seems like a beer I would be drinking in the summertime, not oh, yeah. in February sitting in a hot tub, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to project myself into the, into the yeah. summertime. As well, I four days ago, it was 80 degrees outside. Yeah, this is, it, this is Texas winter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that's cool. So like, so usually on a Belgian wit, you're gonna get uh, a little bit of clove, a little bit of coriander, a little bit of uh, orange peel in there uh, that that highlights that wheat beer. Go ahead, Jake. Half of Iceland's clove, wit is coriander. Ah, they're very, very, very similar. They are very similar. Yeah, coriander and orange is the the wit style. It's the wit style. Yeah, without a doubt, though, I I agree with you. It's it's all kind of there. Yes. And so, what are you, what are your thoughts, Jake? As far as this being a Belgian wit, how's Fortress doing? Uh, Fortress is doing good. It to me doesn't hit as a super class. Excuse me, a super classic wit. It's very drinkable. It's got a lot of citrus, uh, full bodied mouthfeel. The wit style has to have at least fifty one percent wheat in it, okay. which is where a lot of that creamy mouthfeel comes from. 
Um, it's a fantastic beer. Is it traditional wit? No. Is it new age wit? Absolutely. I think they did uh, a good job for sure. I think that's a good way to describe it as a new age wit because it, this this is by no means tastes like Celis. It seems it feels like an interpretation of the Belgian wit to me. Yeah, and so there's a there's a very the orange in here is far more pronounced than in any other wit that I've tasted. Yeah, and so wit means white, like that's the translation mm-hmm. is white, and that was due to its color. And when you pour out the Celis white, um, which is their wit beer, it comes out white. So that may be one of your major differences there is this does not Correct. pour out white no it does not but the essence of it is still the same correct good call and so Kent I know you're new to the hot tub on the hot tub we get a bit judgmental okay. we like to rate rate beers we've created our own scale uh, we're pushing for it to be the industry standard it goes from 0 to 4 0.0 to 4.0 0.0 if I'm going to rate a beer 0.0 I really want to burn the brewery down I don't want anybody else to drink their beer uh, I think it's horrible um, and I want to save save humanity from having to taste that beer. 4.0 is perfect. I want it in the hot tub every single time. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and rate first um, on this beer just to kind of break the ice. But can't be prepared because you're going to have to rate this beer. So and I can use decimal points too, right? Yeah, decimals are I know unlimited. from listening to the show that you can. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. See, look, yeah. can't. I can use like pi or you something. You belong right? here. You yeah. can't use pi. Or you use it's pi or something very. <laughs> nobody, nobody has rated a beer as pi yet. I actually have. Oh, have you really? But it was within the first like four or five episodes of me. So oh. if we go back and listen to it, it'll be very hard to find. But it was, it's there. Is is it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. You know what would have been fun is to rate one of those uh, cobbler beers that we had. As pie? As pie. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to find I told you I had that bad. Never mind. I'm going down tangent. Anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and rate this beer. Uh, as far as just, just beer goes, this is a good beer. It's a very drinkable beer. It's light. It's clean. It's crisp. It's, it's, it's crushable. I can sit on the back porch and drink this beer. It's very citrusy. As far as a Belgian wit goes, I think the best way to describe it would be that new age Belgian wit. It's not as traditional a Belgian wit. There's far more orange. It tastes like, like, like Kent was talking about adding the orange to the beer. Um, it tastes like the orange has already been squeezed and added into this beer. Uh, the, that there's, uh, if, you, if you're one of those people that b- dress a Belgian wit, Excuse me. This one tastes like it's already dressed. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three point three repeating on this one. Three point okay. three repeating on it. I, I, I think it's a very good beer. Would I go back and drink this beer again? Yeah, absolutely. I would. But I, I like what you you said, Kent. This is. I, I would like it more when it's a little bit more hot outside. Um, but as far as a Belgian wit goes, if if I had this up against Celis, I'm still going Celis. And I don't know if that's fair to Fortress because it is Celis, but. Yeah. It's Great beer. L- literally Pierre Celis' recipe. Yes. It's, that's hard to beat. Yeah, you can't. Well, then I'll follow that up, give Kent the last. Um, I'm going to go 3.2 repeating. I don't like to do repeating often, but this is more of an F you to Tim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so overall, it's a fantastic beer. Uh, it's very citrus forward. This definitely appeases more of the common crowd. Uh, it has enough bitterness at the end to kind of round it out with being lingering and syrupy. Uh, my biggest complaint about the beer is I would have loved it to be called the uh, Watchtower Wheat instead of the Watchtower Wit. I don't uh. feel like this is actually a true wit, although there's a lot of similarities. 
Um, I think we missed some of the key points. Um, mainly, it's being overly citrus. It's overly orange. The carbonation needs to be a little bit higher to kind of fit all of that. But overall, it's fantastic beer, and I will recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Kent. Okay, I'm 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 going to give it a good rating, but I'm but I'm going to follow up with what I said. What you guys follow up on what I said? If it, you know, if I'm if I'm at the beach and it's 95 degrees, and I pull one of these out of the cooler and take a big swig of it, I'm going to probably give it a, a 3.5. But but I'm going to just because we're in the hot tub, I'm going to I'm going to lower it a little bit. And not, that's probably not fair, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it a 3.1. Okay. But if it was if it was summertime, I would it, it would it would get get a higher rating, but. Well, that's good. That's Something not, to look probably forward not fair to. to the beer, but I'll, I'll try. I'll have. I'll buy a six pack in the in the summer and and, and give it a hiding. But but I'll, I like it a lot. Very refreshing. Yeah, don't worry about being fair to the beer. The beer is privileged. The fact that it's in the hot tub. The beer should be saying thank you. Correct. We are for, unadulterated. For allowing us to rate it. We don't rate things to make people feel good about it. That's right. We do it to be raw and real and let our listener knows what they can expect. <laughs> there we well go. Said. And 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 sometimes just poke fun and be mean at it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, hey, Kent, I want to say, say thank you again for joining us, uh, getting in the hot tub. Uh, thank you for writing the theme song, uh, for getting us rolling, making us more of a legit podcast. Thanks to Kent Honeyboy Nelson. And we're going we're gonna to take a little bit of a break here in just a moment, okay? And we're going to come back with another beer. We're going to go back with the Battering Ram IPA from Fortress. And I want to get a little bit into your career in education. Kent, Good. the educator. Noise. Are you looking for a house with a hot tub so you can be just like us? If so, you need to call Hugh Height, the Texas beer realtor. He's a craft beer fan looking to help out his fellow hopheads any way he can with their real estate needs. That's Hugh Height, TXBeerRealtor.com or 281-939-8182. Welcome back. So we are still in the hot tub. We are still with Kent Honey Boy Nelson, and we are still drinking beer from Fortress Brewing in Spring, Texas. Oh, and that was the sound of the Battering Ram Smash IPA. So, Kent, this is going to be a Smash IPA. So Smash stands for Single Malt, Single Hop. IPA. So there's going to be one single malt in there, so it's not going to be the, the base of the beer isn't going to be very uh, confusing, very simple. Okay, and one single hop. So the hops are the flowers that are in the beer. And if I'm if I'm overeducating you or telling you something you already know, tell me shut up. No, I need to be I need to be educated. Continue right. to educate. You are an educator. So. I am an educator, which is what we're going to get into in this subject as well. So this, or excuse me, this uh, this section as well. This beer has Simcoe hops as the uh, as the as the hop on it. So Simcoe hop, every hop is going to have different flavors that it, it produces. Simcoe Wildly is going to be what's that? Wildly different flavors. Well, yes, it, it varies significantly. Simcoe is probably one of my favorite hops because it, it kind of everybody gets a little bit something different out of it. But there are flavors in there that are going to be almost earthy, light citrusy. There's a there's a IPA from Equal Parts that uses Simcoe. It's very Simcoe forward. It almost has a berry flavor to it in Tropic from Equal Parts. I was about to say, um, it, very com- it comes off very tropical and, and, and like a light citrus. It does. But there's also 
times where they've introduced Simcoe hops where it has these like dank cannabis vibes to it as well. Um, and so I'm really interested in what we're going to get from this beer. So as we're sipping this, oh, the dank notes are on the nose, without a doubt. That beer smells nice. Yeah, I, I, I hope it's the, as good as it smells. Catching the scent of it already. Yes. So we, we talked a little bit. In the break, you were talking about in your music, people coming up and connecting with you in your music. And you're in a, uh, you just recently retired from a profession that is full of building connections and, and, and helping kids reach the next level of their educational career, of their social and emotional development. So you were an educator for how many years, Kent? 24 years. 24 wow. years in education in the classroom. All at the high school? All at the high school level. That's right. So kind of tell me what, what drew you into that path as an educator. Um, I, I guess I, uh, I wasn't my first career. I was doing something else before that, and I did kind of a career change when I was in my early 30s. And uh, I, I, guess, I guess I was looking for a new career, and I was interested in English, which is what I ended up teaching, and, and I was also interested in Spanish, and I would, had become pretty fluent in Spanish by that time. And uh, I, I saw I had a, found a niche where I could get a job as a as a as a teacher that taught Spanish and taught English as well. So that was that was kind of my end to the to the, the school that I that I was hired at. There you go. That's kind of cool. And so as your as your career developed, um, is it something that you know was kind of level all twenty four years, or was this as an emotional roller coaster? How do you when you look back on your career in education? What did you What did you take away from it? Uh, I, well, if you're talking about the, the emotional, I guess roller coaster. Well, I guess it started off difficult, like all jobs start off when it was the first, especially teaching. The first two or three years were were pr- pretty tough. You know, getting getting your groove going and getting being able to, to get the kids to do what you what you want them to do and establishing a relationship and a, and a rapport with them and. And once you get that going, it's, it levels off and it's pretty, it gets pretty easy and it's a very enjoyable job. And it was for many years. And then, uh, and then uh, other things start to come up, you know, with dealing with uh, other aspects of the job uh, as, that, that make it make it a little more difficult. And you and I were talking before before we before we started our uh, started the podcast. I guess you and I were talking about how how things uh, th- th- things get things change. Things get more difficult. Every year, and whether it's the kids or whether it's the uh, you know other people or or, or that you're dealing with, but uh, but I guess it was uh, overall. I'm gonna, it was a good experience. The last two or three, the first two or three were tough. The last two or three were tough. But uh, looking at the big picture, it was it was it was a good career to have. So when you retired, you were in. It was the middle of the pandemic, correct? Yes, it was kind of um, yeah, kind of toward, toward the tail end of the pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, how did that how did that change education? We talked about how during the pandemic we had a lot of you know live music artists that really got hit really hard. And and so in, in education we're almost kind of recession proof, right? Everybody's going to always need teachers, but it doesn't mean that the profession wasn't affected significantly. So from your standpoint, how was it affected, and and, and how did it change your job as a teacher? Uh, well, I I, th- I think it. Well, first of all, what I was teaching at the time for the last many years was uh, was was Spanish. I was teaching. Uh, I was teaching a, a AP Spanish, upper level Spanish classes, and and I was teaching all levels of Spanish. By the time it was 
said and done. But, uh, you know, when you're trying to teach online and try to teach kids how to speak Spanish, it, and it just doesn't really work that way. You know, it just, it's just really, it's the same with, with, English, with English as well. It's just difficult to, ha- to have a, to, it, it, there's, you can't substitute anything for the one-on-one interaction with kids. And it was, I don't care if you're on Zoom or, you know, virtual teaching or whatever it is. It, it just makes it tough. And, and I think, the, but the other thing as far as uh, how it affected, that's how it affected uh, me and the students. But as far as how it affected the students, and you and I had talked about this before, uh, socially, it, it really it, it really was difficult for the kids. It, it, they were, it was kind of hindered their social development at a very formative time in their life. You know, they're, what, 14 to 18 years old, you know, and all of a sudden they're stuck at home for a year. Yes, that was a very weird time. And I know that, you know, during that time I was going and picking up shifts at Thistle Draft Shop with Jake. And it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, it seemed like there was more teachers in there during the pandemic than almost <laughs> ever before. That's likely. A lot of <laughs> teachers. I love my teachers that come in. But, yes, there was a lot of teachers. It was almost a respite, like a, just a place to go blow off steam. Because it was, it was, like you said, it, that was a weird time. So you look back and you said that uh, – those one-on-one conversations with kids were missing and that that time that you had to you know really teach them and get to know them was was going would you say that's something that you when you look back that was one of the highlights of the career like if you look back what's the best takeaway from education that you had when i look back the 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 best part of the job and frankly over the last three or four years the the only good part of the job was the kids dealing with the kids interacting with the kids and, and you know people when, when you tell people you're a teacher and you probably experience this too oh man how do you how do you put up with these kids today well, I, I bet it's just hard. and i always tell them I was like you know what it's really the kids are fine yeah kids are good you know and the parents well, sometimes you have issues with the parents but well the parents overall were, were supportive and, and and that's really the probably the only thing I, I miss about it but i do miss it a lot i miss, the, I miss interacting with my kids and, and and you learn a lot from them you learn from, as much from them as they learn from you i mean you and you know that as a former educator as well i mean yeah. you and and how to interact with people and how to and and that's why their 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 social life being hindered like it was during the during the pandemic was not just not just interacting with the teacher and their education but you know they're they're interacting with their peers and, and their and their and their coaches and their and their uh, you know their teachers as well yes did they uh, did they teach you YOLO? You only live once. Yeah, only live once. Yeah, right. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> I was I was YOLO before YOLO was cool, man. That, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so on your Instagram, we see you going out and surfing. Like, mm-hmm. and you, kid, you're getting after it, man. You're you seem like you're enjoying retirement. I am. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy the, you know uh, surfing, saltwater fishing. Those are some of my hobbies, and uh, other than other than music. And uh, it does it does open up a lot more time to for, for those pursuits. That's certainly. So, you know, I know as me as an educator, there are certain things that I get excited about and I get to teach that when the curriculum and I mesh and then the kids get it, I have a lot of fun. Was there anything that you taught while you were going along, either in Spanish or in English, that you got excited about and the kids got excited about and that you looked forward to teaching every year you know believe it or not when teaching spanish i i, I enjoyed you know, this last several years i taught i taught uh, ap spanish literature and i was and that was kind of a and oh, i was wow. i was always a literature guy you know in english and, and i got a chance to teach spanish literature and that was i got excited 
you know, probably more excited than the kids did about it, you know, because, but uh, it was a difficult class. It was a challenging class for me to prepare for and obviously a very challenging class for them as well. But I got pretty excited about just doing the reading and the prep for it as, as, as uh, challenging as it was. But I was I, I like grammar, you know. I'm a grammar. I'm kind of a grammar geek. I, I like. To, I'm a firm believer that you have to teach grammar as a, as a structure for for a foreign okay. language. I love that you said grammar geek and not grammar Nazi. I love I love that grammar geek. <laughs> grammar geek is right. Yeah, like where you guys are beer geeks. I'm a, I was a, gram, a grammar geek. That's right. phenomenal, and I think we miss a lot of that. Well, especially for me growing up, is like there was not a lot of that taught, and like. I think grammar is very, very important. You know, like when people, I mean, the, specifically written English is like when they don't yeah. put the comma where it belongs and I'm stuck there rereading the same sentence six times drives me nuts. But when I grew up, there wasn't much grammar talk. I love I love that you said that because that was going to be my next deal. Like just kind of from the other side of the desk, Jake. Like I think that's Kent's coming across as a gamer grammar geek you may have interpreted it from your teacher maybe at times being a grammar nazi like being on the other side of the desk what do you remember about your english teacher or your spanish teacher that really got you fired up or really turned you off oh man that's actually a loaded question uh so i actually <laughs> oh i have to say this on air i actually failed english uh in high school um, and it, it was never over grammar. They we only did like a grammar test a year, yeah. And they didn't actually like really teach it before they gave it to you. They go, "Here you go." And I actually ended up doing very well on all the grammar tests. But a lot of the written stuff, uh, like, "Hey, you have to write this paper." I don't think I had the same understanding that the teacher was saying, and so I'd kind of veer off, and I didn't get really good scores on that. But I also studied German for four years. I actually lettered in German. Um, oh, wow. And Frau Kid, I think she's still in the client system, her and her Frau husband. Frau Kid, good friend of mine. Yeah. And so. and her kid. I talked with them for many years. Are they still in? No, they retired many years ago, but they're good. still around. They they're deserve still in it. the area, though. Really? Yeah. Phenomenal yeah, human beings. Cool. I'm, I'm awesome. telling you. I mean, maybe if, if you taught me, uh, I, I'd, I'd put you on the same scale here, but without a doubt, one of the best, most patient teachers mm. I've ever had was, was uh, Frau Kid. And it didn't matter how much of a screw-up you were. It didn't matter how much trouble you had. She would sit down with you and help work you through it, uh, which was great because I, uh, I was the trouble kid, you know. Um, and it's, it was such a phenomenal experience. It's one of those ones, like, I wish I could go back and do that again or have been a little bit more focused when I did it. But I think Frau Kid was such a rock in my high school experience that helped me keep moving forward i mean it gave me something to do after school i did i did club i did german club like what is that you know we would watch uh you remember cool runnings the jamaicans we watched it in german every single (laughs) year and so when i think of that movie i think of it in german every Mm -hmm. time with these really bad like dubbed uh german voices Mm -hmm. over this jamaican team uh but absolutely massive impact the english teachers i didn't get along with very well but <laughs> i agree they need to do more grammar in general uh for for at least for my generation they was not taught very well and i'm gonna guess that and i, and I know frau kid very well i'm gonna guess that she 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 taught german grammar right she she, she set up the structure of the grammar oh yeah in, in the class maybe not so much in the english class but in, in, in like I said, I taught with with Hair Kid for many years, and he was I know he was that way. Yeah, and I only met him a few times, and he was fantastic yeah, too. They're, they're just amazing teachers. So that's what you remember, right? You and you were in, probably wasn't an easy class, but it was you made a connection with her, and and you made a connection with with the grammar, the, the, the German club, and and what a great experience that you had. She would she yeah. would love to know that 
to know that, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, if you talk to them anytime soon, um, tell them to listen to the podcast. T- tell them yeah. to reach out. No, I, I don't want them hearing me saying a bunch of good stuff. Um, <laughs> I was not that kid. But no, like reach out, like uh, let's have a beer or mm-hmm. a juice or yes. uh, a bratwurst. I don't know, whatever mm-hmm. they want. Let's just let's go out and have one because mm-hmm. it, it, it's crazy. Because anybody that was in my school that I, I still interact with anybody that does uh, German they still bring up Frau Kid like my girlfriend had Frau Kid we weren't even the same year she had Frau Kid that's and like, crazy uh, it's still like a huge impact on everybody's life well, and, I'll, and I'll say this for for teachers and, and, and Kent I may speak for you a little bit here but, but please stop me if I'm, if I'm overstepping bounds but when we go back and we see these kids years later and sometimes we know we impacted them and, and we have that relationship in the classroom and sometimes it's an email years later from a kid that you barely remember that you hit harder than you ever thought you hit mm-hmm. and those those to me are the most rewarding parts of being in education because see yeah that classroom day in and day out can become a grind right mm-hmm. um but the getting and hearing those stories later i can't tell you there's been several times where i'm bartending at thistle and a student of mine that I taught is sometimes in another town, sometimes in Klein because I've been here a while in this area, um, comes in and just sipping on a beer with them and sharing that, you know, experience as a grown up. That's that's a lot mm-hmm. of fun, man. That's that's part of the profession that I think gets overlooked that a lot of young teachers get in. And like you said before, it's tough when you start. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy job. Mm-hmm. But if you stick it out, I think the, the, the rewards on the back end are million times worth what you deal with on the front end there's no doubt yeah and, and i can relate to that too i get kids reaching out to me on facebook or reaching out to me on an email mm-hmm. hey senor let's get let's get together and have lunch you know i did i guess it was uh over the christmas holidays i, I had a kid reach out to me that he graduated he was at u of h i believe and he said hey let's have lunch you know I'm, uh, and i want to i want to catch up it was during christmas break so i went and i went and meet him for lunch and there's five kids He's like a surprise. He, he pulls all the other kids that oh, are also cool. in their first and second year of college, and and they kind of su- surprised me. And you know that you know that, that that's rewarding. Like you said, it make you realize like, okay, well, I guess I had an impact on the on these kids. These are all good students and good kids. But it's not always, you know, the quote good kids that may. Sometimes you get hear from man, you're I loved your class. You you had a good. I'm thinking, man, you, you weren't really a good student, but okay, I'm I'm glad. You know, yeah. And like like you were, like you were saying, I mean, you you're of course I'm sure you're a good student in German, but you, I was you're, not. You're, okay. <laughs> well, I, know, there you go. I tried. Don't get me wrong. I tried, but that was one of those things. I don't think she ever knows the impact she had on my life. Right. Uh, that's I, why I said she needs to know because yeah. she would. Right. Yeah. That that's exactly what you're talking about. She would look. She would probably. She would probably look back and say, oh, he was a really nice nice kid. Maybe not a good student, but she would. This, that would be the reward right there is knowing yeah. that hey man you had an Im- a positive impact you know, on, on in a lot of ways yeah and sometimes education and teaching is it's, it's easy you get those kids and you get that easy connection sometimes it's like taking a battering ram and smashing education right. into their head you know speaking of battering and, ram and so speaking of battering ram we got this smash IPA that we've been sipping on this whole time now we started the conversation after we took a smell of the beer, and we had to stop and acknowledge, okay, that that dank aroma is yeah. coming off of it. And as I'm sipping, that's what I'm getting from the hops. That's what's highlighted in those hops is that that dank, almost mm-hmm. cannabis thick flavor that's coming off of it. It is. It's not a super clean beer to me. It's 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 very. There's a very heavy mouthfeel to it, mm-hmm. um, but the flavors there I like. To me, this is a beer that is 
starting to be refined. It's got a good recipe. It's got a good direction. And I like where it's going, but I want to see where it's going. I don't I don't feel like it's all the way developed yet. Thoughts from y'all? It's okay. I mean, it's it's good. It's not bad. It's not yeah. great. It's uh it's good. I'll save all the details for the rating, but uh overall, it's very drinkable. And Kent, you're not an IPA guy normally, correct? Did I tell you that? Are you reading my mind? Is I'm that... reading your mind. Wow. Cuz I I haven't really Traditionally, I'm not an IPA guy. You're right, but I was going to say, and what is what is the word you use? Mouth has a mouth mouth feel. feel. A mouth feel. When right when you said that, I was like, oh, that's what I'm, that's what that feel is I have right now. I didn't know what it's called. Just a little bit of this dry mouth, kind of in the back, kind of thing. Yes, which is very IPA, uh, but it's not like other IPAs. I would say more like a mouth explosion. You're like, Ugh, you know, yes. and I didn't have that. It's, it's, uh, I guess, I don't know, I'm not going to use the right adjectives, but it, it's a smoother IPA Any than I'm used to. adjectives are acceptable adjectives. Okay, okay. so that's a lesson. Yeah, okay. we're all inclusive. Okay. <laughs> as it should be. Uh, so, so, yeah, as far as an IPA goes, this is, this is, a, this is a good IPA. I think, I think I've never, like you said, like you, as you, in, you intuitively noted, I'm not an IPA guy. But uh, but this is a good IPA. There you go. Fortress, he just endorsed your IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, hire the man to come play. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Wait a minute. This is right. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it really high ratings. <laughs> there I we go. Um, Jake, go ahead. I'm gonna let you rate first. I'm gonna go three point zero flat. Um, okay. And it's like I said, it's good. It's not great. It's not bad. Um, the carbonation on it is is right where it should be, but it has the body has. I hate to use the word syrupy, but in relation to an IPA, yes, it I has a lot more residual resting. But it's not syrupy like a pastry stout. It's just I got a lot more residual on the the, the palate, which makes it seem like it has less carbonation. Um, overall, the bitterness is balanced. The sweetness is. Uh, it's a little top heavy for me, but mostly balanced. Uh, overall, very drinkable. Um, really easy to get somebody in on this, but yeah. I, I find it to be just kind of that that perfect 3.0, just average uh, smash. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna rate you. I'm gonna go above you. I'm gonna go 3.4 zeros and a one. Um, just just because I'm gonna outdo you just a touch. Of course. Yeah. Um, but I will agree with you on the on the on the residual. Like I would have liked to seen it ferment out a little bit more, to where it's a little bit more dry. It's almost kind of a sweet IPA. I could taste those malt sugars in there. Um, but we're sitting at what are we? Where are we sitting at percentage wise? Six point eight. Six point eight. Six point. Six point two. Six point two. So I mean, you could still go all the way up to seven seven five and still be a you know within the range of a of an American IPA. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I do like the hop flavors I, on it. I I don't know. I'm partial to Simcoe. I like that. I like that hop. I like those those flavors coming off of it. And so they did a good job of highlighting the hop. But I almost if the malt backbone is subdued a little bit and the hop is brought up a little bit more. This might be on my regular rotation if I made those adjustments. I can agree with you, but I would honestly, I would leave the hop where it is and bring back would the you? body because that hop is just going to just flourish where it's at. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I might go. I might. I might crawfish there and go with you on that. There you go, yeah. Kent, Mister Non IPA guy. Uh, yeah, what do you think? I, I'm going to put aside. Uh, 
my uh, reservations about IPAs and and pretend I'm an IPA guy, and, <laughs> okay. and I'm going to give it a three point five one, three point five one, and nice. that's saying that if I was an IPA guy, uh, I would uh, I would give it a, high, a higher rating perhaps. But may, maybe if if I'm going to order an IPA, it's going to be one of these. I think if, if, nice. if, I'm, if it's around. So hell yeah, yeah. There Good job, go, Fortress. Con- yeah, hell converting yeah. Converting me to an to an IPA, maybe. I love it. Okay, so all right, no, I did mention that they were from Canada, and you said you didn't realize that. Handcrafted with Canadian kindness, and also handcrafted with Texas Rebellion. I love that. Yeah, very, that's kind of cool. Well put. I, I don't guess. know. I don't know who's Canadian. I don't know who's uh, a Texas. But I just, I just assume John O'Hara is the Texas. I don't know why. I, I, think, he's you're, probably, I think you're right. He's from Tomball, and the rest are from Canada. Really? Yes. So if you look, look at that, look at that symbol. And I know you can't see it. There's a Texas Ma- with a maple leaf in the middle of it, in the negative space. Is that an ampersand? Yeah. It is an ampersand. So I guess it's saying Texas and Canada together. I love it. Nice. You know, I once illegally hopped the Canadian border. Can't arrest me now. It's been almost ten years. Son statue of limitations. Yeah, I don't know how long statue limitation is. Good luck proving it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go three point four zeros and a two. I'm gonna bump up my rating just a little bit just off that logo. I like that. That's pretty cool. So, at Fortress, thank you for for the beer. Uh, Kent, thank you for the conversation. Now we have met Kent Honeyboy Nelson, the artist. We have met uh, Senor Nelson, the educator. We're gonna take a little bit of a break. We're gonna have another Fortress beer, and we're gonna come back, and we're gonna meet Kent Nelson, the community member. All right, welcome back to Hot Tub Beer. So, last segment of the day, we're still with Fortress Brewing in, uh, on Spring Cypress Road in Spring, Texas. Uh, three Canadians and a Texan. And so, we're going to, this looks like a straight Texan beer, right? Uh, Longhorn on the front, looks almost like a mechanical Longhorn. Um, Stronghold Barrel Age Series. So what this is, a traditional English porter, Jake's favorite style, aged in yellow rose whiskey barrels, notes of chocolate, vanilla, toasted marshmallow, and oak, blend harmoniously with a finish reminiscent of a dram of whiskey at the end of a long day. So, a slice of nature tucked away in Spring, Texas. This is going to be exciting. This is, okay, so I'm going to be real honest, Kent. Dark, heavy, barrel-aged beers with notes of whiskey are some of my favorite stuff in the hot tub. This 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 type of beer makes me excited. So this segment with a big badass beer, Kent, you have done some big badass things in the community. Um, and just being a community member, I think when we met was or not we probably met before then, but with uh, when we got to really know each other was during Harvey. So kind of tell us what the deal was during Harvey, what your role was, and how you played, how that played out in the community. Well, I, I guess I kind of wanted to get out and, you know, like everybody, like a lot of people, wanted to get out and help help a lot of the folks that were that were uh, that were flooded. You know, they were they were uh, damaged. You know, both during the flood and when everybody was stranded in their houses and trying to get it, trying to escape, and uh, and then after the flood, which is when you and I started kind of did doing our thing, trying to help. Well, I guess we were reaching out to, to you said community members, but really it was teachers that we, our colleagues of ours that and their families that were affected by, by Harvey and and helping them uh, clean out clean out their houses and and, and uh, get back get back on their feet again. I guess is what we were we were trying to help help them out and uh, 
as I recall, you we recall it differently, but I recall you were the one that was spearheading this. I was just like, hey, how can I help? And uh, hey, I'm going over to help my my uh, uh, one of my coworkers, and 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 there's Tim with his uh, you know sling, swinging a sledgehammer, step the, the, right this way. I'm like you know, leading the troops, man. So that that's the way I remember it. You you were the one that was that was helping the community, and I was just. Helping, helping out you as best I could. That's funny because I remember it completely differently. I remember like sitting in at the house with Mandy, waiting on my marching orders from Kent, like getting <laughs> waiting on a text to go like, "All right, this is the address where we're at today. So and so needs help. Let's go make sure that we're getting their help today." And so that's that's the way that I remember it. That that's funny that we have such a different memory of it. Um, but I think that's one of the things that like your role we talked about your role as an artist and going and playing venues and 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 being in the musical uh world in this area we talked about your role as being an educator i think both of those roles in order to be successful in both of those roles you have to play a big role in the community that's true that's and, true yeah and so tell me because Harvey is one of those things that, that we did, and we, we could tell some more stories about that in a little bit, but what are some other ways that you've gotten out there just being in the roles that you have as Honey Boy Nelson, as Senor Nelson, to, to go out there and be a member of the, the community in this area? Uh, well, we, we've done like benefit fundraiser type stuff, and in fact, as I recall, we, play, we, we, played, a, we played a gig around that time. And we kind of you know donated everything we made to some some flood victims you know during that that was a way of kind of two two of those things happening right using my music and and donating back and that kind of thing but uh, but, but but yeah you know you and I were talking earlier during the break about about um, when, when you're a teacher you know you're a community member and you're trying to interact with the kids we talked about that in the last segment and. It's not just, you know, the, the classroom. I mean, you're not just like uh, interact with the kids in the classroom. If you can get out and go support them, you know, watch them doing the cross country or playing basketball or playing in the band or orchestra and and you get out there and 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 uh and and support them that way and go go watch them play or watch them, you know, watch them participate in sports and that kind of thing. That goes a long way with with the kids and and with the parents and with with the and thus with the community and I, I know i know you do that of course you're you're a coach and you're you're connected all the way around with the kids but I, I think that's as you're a teacher whether you like it or not you're involved with the community and how you how far you're going to take that and how far you're going to you, know, you, you you you're in a position to help help out not just the kids but the, the community in general like we talked about it is and it, it I, I will say this you know just kind of as this common bond as an educator you, you it, get, it puts you in some uncomfortable spots sometimes right like going out and going into somebody's home after it's been wrecked by a hurricane well, there were some uncomfortable spots mm-hmm. and seeing people in despair and then just like I think the best way that I got through that, I guess they got through that because I didn't, I was, I was blessed enough to where our house didn't get damaged, but I would just go to a room of their house and go to work and let them be them and just help them without, without them, uh, being around me because it's, it's, it's hard to see what they're going through and you just want to help. Uh, but I think working for you and for me, and, and I'm thankful for you for getting me involved in that. It was just the best way to help. Just mm-hmm. going and working and putting in work, and and not really because I mean, I may be exposing myself. I may not be the uh, the most emotionally sensitive man in the world, but I can go and I can put in work and help you mm-hmm. out. 
you know, and that and that was kind of cool. Um, but even even at this, and this is going to sound trivial compared to that, but how many times have you gone out to a soccer game and it's been stinking cold uh, and you're uncomfortable tonight mm-hmm. and close to pneumonia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally tonight. <laughs> just, just because you want that kid to see you there, you That's know? Right? Absolutely. Yeah, and and the, and kind of connecting the two, you, the, the the kids, you know, they see you helping out. With the family, the kids know that, right? They're like, "Hey, Senor, I heard you, you and Coach McGuire were like doing this, you know," and that goes a long way with the kids. They're, they're setting an example, I guess, for them, you know. And and uh, and of course, they 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 they, they think you're the awesome anyway. The, I'm talking about you, you know, your kids. I had, I had a lot of your, I had a lot of your students, you know. There were, I remember back several years ago, there were cross country kids, you know, and 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 uh, they already respect you, and then they're gonna see you. Giving back to the community and helping out, and that, you know, that that's that's an example that's going to carry on. Hopefully, they'll so they'll, they'll do the same and and and, and uh, improve the their, their community wherever that may be. That, uh, that I'm glad you brought up that point. That that's kind of one of the fun things you kind of hope you instill in them at least one point. Right is is that they're going to go back and do these things that may not be the easiest thing to do but it's the right thing to do uh to be involved and to help others and and hopefully that 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 uh that manifests in their life at, at, in some way at some point down the road now going back to to harvey and, and helping the community kind of tell us one of the stories like is is there any story of helping out during that time in this area that stood out to you I, I guess what you just mentioned, you know, just being able to help my, I don't feel like I did a lot, you know, I don't feel like I, I, I did as much as I could have, but looking back, you know, I, 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 I helped when it was, when it was needed and, uh, and I, it, it, if anything else, it made me realize like I, silver lining about that kind of a catastrophe is you, it makes you realize that you need to be doing that kind of thing. You know, all the time, not just when there's a, you know, you need to be looking for ways to help. People are suffering all the time. You know, they're not, it's not just during a flood or a whatever, a pandemic or a freeze or, you know, you need to be looking around for ways to to help, you know, help your community in, in, in year round. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it, Jake, just from the, like... Uh, this is, we ought to call this segment the other side of the desk, right? Because I, I, I like I like your perspective on this, right? So, like as as a student, did you see teachers kind of reaching out and coming into the community that made an impact on you as a student? That you know, that's such a hard question for me, um, mainly because for one, I wasn't the good kid, uh, but two. I was so involved with so many things, uh, and I'll speak back to Ike because that's yeah. when I actually had teachers at the time. Uh, man, I was, uh, I am an Eagle Scout. Um, I just, I've always just kind of pitched in. Obviously, not being the the good child of the family, a lot of friends of mine were delinquents that were put to community service, and they'd bitch and moan. Oh, I got community, but they go where. I'm going because I want to do this. And so I'd volunteer for um, NAM, uh, not Vietnam, but uh, n- the National Assistance North, Ministry. Northwest yes. Assistance. North, yeah, whichever. Yeah, that one. And then there was a resale shop in Tomball that benefited uh, the local uh, people getting food that, that couldn't afford it. Uh, gosh, I've dug out trails and done all this stuff. So when Ike happened, I don't truly remember much outside of going door to door and like helping helping where I could yeah but I don't remember any of my teachers with that and so it's a hard thing to say but like Harvey in itself 
uh, as soon as the roads cleared enough for me to get out, yeah. I was actually back at work at the restaurant because, you know, yeah. it, it, it sounds selfish to be like, oh, I was back at work. But like also at the time, that was one of the few places that had power that had mm-hmm. food and water and ice and all that stuff. So it's like it felt like I was doing well. You know what I yeah. mean? You were but, getting back to normal and, and provi- providing Oh, it's some pe- people needed to get you know, yeah. normalcy, right? So it's, it, but that's the thing is, it's it's not even normalcy when you're at that point. So, especially the the first day that somebody has power. So, a lot of times, a lot of the commercial strips go up first before the residential. Yeah. Uh, but that first day in the heights, I think everything was still like half of it was still underwater. I I had to take a weird way, and when you go, half the staff doesn't show up, so you got like somewhere between three to six people running shop and the whole goal is just to get as much food to the people who don't have it as you can yeah. you know what I mean it's not about like, you know charging extra people making money it's just like get back in there help everybody get to it and the unfortunate side is with Thistle and the last couple things is um, Harvey we weren't open and then the freeze we didn't have power so it's like there's only so much you can do at that point yeah well I mean you you bring up this point where you're going to sound silly like it's but I don't know. To me, education and the restaurant slash bar industry are kind of you're both in the service industry. Oh yeah, right. We're, we're we're both providing services, just two different, completely different services. And I don't really know that that uh, honestly. And this may be selfish, just because I really like drinking beer, but uh, that, that that I can really value one over the other. Right? If it, education is incredibly important, it, education is the pathway to everything else that you need in life. Like I feel passionately about education, but I also feel passionately about that restaurant and bar industry. Like there's there's a release there. There's a mental health break that is needed just to kind of get out and have somebody else bring you a nice meal, mm-hmm. have somebody else pour you a great beer, and just not think about anything else in the world except enjoying mm-hmm. yourself and the people you care about. Yeah, agreed. And Kent, so your your takeaways. So in the in the aftermath, looking back at you know, let's say, and I keep picking on Harvey because that seems the most obvious. Um, how did how did the, the the families that you saw how they come out of it? How did how did all that go? Yeah, I, I think I think uh, it was. I'm sure you know. Everybody's kind of back to where they were before. I was thinking about when I was driving up here. I was coming up. Uh, Coming up, uh, Kirkendall. You know, okay. and I remember driving through the, the the underpass that goes underneath 1960. Mm-hmm. And I remember this was all underwater. I was just thinking about this because uh-huh. I was driving up here because I came up here back. You know, I remember we t- I tried to t- talking about launching, trying to launch a boat over here. And I remember thinking, man, this thing, everything's like back to normal. And I, I actually was thinking, what you to your point, I was thinking, you know, I hope that these people are back to normal now. I hope, I hope, and, I, and it, obviously, there's life is different or whatever, but. It, but it's like you would have never known that, that 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 catastrophe occurred driving, and I was just kind of take kind of like my route up here was right through yes. you know kind of ground zero of, of Harvey and the other flood that you guys were mentioning earlier. So uh, I, I would I would like to, I, I think you know the at least the people I know were affected are are, are doing doing very well now. It is it, I think it's just been recently that the signs of that <coughs> around here have completely faded away. Because even after everybody got their homes together and they they fixed everything inside the homes, a lot of those homes went for sale. So there were some of these neighborhoods that were almost like ghost towns around mm-hmm. here. And then even after people started moving back into those homes, the uh, Precinct 4 started doing flood mitigation. Mm-hmm. So all these uh, drainage 
drainage creeks, mm-hmm. they're going in, they're digging them out and, and making them wider to where they can mm-hmm. hold more water capacity. Mm-hmm. So it really has been, I would say, within the last six months to a year that it has almost, the, the, the evidence of Harvey has disappeared. And in and, uh, and Harris County Flood Control it did a lot of the relocation. In fact, I won't go into all the detail of that, but I've, I've worked with, with that with that entity as well and uh, helping relocate people that were affected by Harvey. And like I said, some of those entire neighborhoods are now parks or, or you know, no, no homes. Yes. They're completely condemned properties. And, and, and that's, and that, that's, what's, that's, that's the umpteen, however many years later, that's, 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 that's something that had to be, had to be addressed. Even now there's still, still working to re- relocate people and recompensate, compensate people for what, for their losses. You know, you you may relate to this one, but like after Harvey, uh, over there on the west side of of the city, I was going through there probably four or five months afterwards, and people's houses were still getting gutted, and it was mm-hmm. hard to see all of that stuff on the road. But the one item that hit me the most was there was a a beautiful upright piano just completely water damaged and like at the curb. And you think about like when you see all the stuff on the the side, you see a lot of the stuff and it's like, okay, that's, that really sucks. You're losing a lot of what you live with and and what you do. And you're going to have to replace all this stuff, but to literally have something put out that is so personal so artistic so social so so much that brings people together and it being on the curb as a dump is where it really hit me it's like that's where everybody gathers around and that part of the heart is now on the curb with the trash and that was five months after yeah the whole road just completely gutted man it, it hurt watching that it, yeah it's interesting right because those are, those become to points at which we can relate to people that we might not have ever related to before um, and just kind of getting to know and finding this common ground uh, you know it, it sucks sometimes that that tragedies are the things that bring us closer mm-hmm. together but in that instance you look back at it and, and hopefully we hold on to some of those connections uh, hopefully through that process some of the people that that we touched became better community members and are still better community members to this day because of going through that you know and and hopefully it doesn't take going through that again to develop those relationships, but inevitably it will, because sometimes we take life for granted. We 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 take the the easy things for granted until it's taken away from us, and then then we have to come together and help each other out and get better again. Houston strong. Uh, when they were saying that, I'm like, it, I guess to me, it's like I think we always were that way, but yeah. now they put some verbiage in it. Mm-hmm. You know. Ike, when Ike first happened, man, every neighbor was out in the yard helping each other put it back together. I think we were without power for two or three weeks, and that was pretty easy compared to some other people. And it's like Houston really brings it in together and really helps each other. And I do think that's a large part of what our education system has taught. You know what I mean? Like these kids don't pick this up from somewhere. They pick it up from from their parents and their education system and everything they're surrounded with. And if if Houston changes, that's the one thing I hope stays. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so speaking of Houston strongholds, we got the stronghold barrel age series that we're sampling in our hands right now. Mm-hmm. Right? So a porter Porter, Jake, do you want to do you want to talk about the style of porter? I'm gonna let you go off on it because this is Jake's favorite style of beer. I won't go off on it. I think this is a porter. I, I would agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, yes, it's barrel aged, but it's still a porter. I wouldn't call this one a stout porter. It's just a barrel aged porter. 
I would, I would agree with we you. We draw there. the line at Imperial Porter or Double Porter. That's where we draw oh, the line. Okay. That's where you're just a bunch of fucking liars. So a porter, <laughs> Jake's very passionate about this line. So a porter is a roasted malt beer that is, is, is super light beer. It was the working man's beer. Full of flavor, full of caloric content that you could go after the end of a work day, slam six of them, still make it home, and be relaxed. Right? I mean, they were still, 3%. Excuse me? They were 3% beers. Yeah. Low ABV beers. They're, they're not meant to get you hammered. It's just meant to end your day uh, is what it was really meant for. And so that, that style has kind of translated over the years um, into, you know, whatever these craft breweries want to make it into. And so a lot of times we'll drink these porters. Uh, we had one, uh, gosh, last week, wasn't it? To where we had the uh, hot stove from Texas Leaguer. Was that last week? Uh, was it live? Then yes. Oh, it was the president episode. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, you're right. Correct. Yeah. The hot stove, yeah. The hot stove. So it was, but it was, a porter should be almost super light in body like a lager or a blondale. A stout is going to be heavier. Okay? So this one, to me, does hit that porter mark. It is lighter, but the bourbon notes are there. The chocolate notes are there. Uh, I probably wouldn't have picked out marshmallow if they hadn't set it on the label. I would have never known, but it's but I, I'm I'm tasting it there just by power of suggestion. This is a this is a nice example of a barrel aged porter. It's not something heavy. Like I'm going to drink this, and I'm not going to feel full like I would from a stout. But I still get those nice like bourbon flavors. Yeah, we think it. Well, this beer when you said porter, it reminded me of two things. It reminded me of of a beer that I. Uh, I guess used to like, didn't drink often, but I remember from back when I was a young barrel chested, not afraid to try different beers guy <laughs> like you guys. Uh, and uh, two things was was an anchor, the anchor porter, the anchor, anchor mm-hmm. porter. Okay. I remember drinking an anchor porter, and then it also reminded me of a, of an establishment that used to be in Houston on Westheimer, and you probably you lived down that area. I don't know, maybe it was after your before your time. Uh, the the ale house. Okay. The ale ha- there's a place called the Ale House. It was an old farmhouse from like the, I don't know, early 1900s. That was a was a, 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 a of course they this was before the microbrew days, but it was like a multi-level, the original building, and, and you could get beers from the world. You know, oh, that wasn't cool. the west side of Shepherd, was it, it? It was on it was on Westheimer at Kirby. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know it's what you're talking about. Yeah, it's torn down now. There's a, yeah, uh, they they put another or something there beer bar close to that that okay. area too with similar concept but i don't know if they're still open yeah, but yeah. yeah i'm not sure but i, I remember journeying a friend of mine would like to go try different beers when we go down there to the ale house and 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 uh and i remember i would have an acre porter there but i like porter i mean this was this is uh, yeah this reminded me of that uh that's pretty cool. Well, Anchor, Anchor's one of those original ones like one of the ones that were on the mm-hmm. in fact they have the patent for the steam beer do they though? Because there has been a lot of legal battles over that. In fact, I think Anchor actually said that they did not create the steam beer. Like really? they came out and said that, even though everybody else is like, "Yeah, you did." But the, oh. I think the there was a big thing with uh, oh, what's the name of that brewery? El Rey, not El Rey. I'll, I'll remember it here in a minute. But there was a big battle with a Texas brewery okay. over what a steam beer was and they obviously didn't lose it was the same people that did um, Sex in a Canoe because it's close to fucking water oh I Noble Ray 
Noble Ray. I think that's but it. Noble, Noble, Ray. The, Noble Ray doesn't exist anymore. No, I mean, part, they didn't win they that. They were on uh, Kelly Myers' podcast. Yeah, they didn't win that battle with, yeah. with well, what a steam beer was. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have another buddy who does a podcast of breweries that have gone extinct that did not make it. And he goes and he interviews them and talks about why they didn't make it. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's like two sides of the same coin. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Speaking of places that went extinct, and I, 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 if I can mention another place I remember going to closer mm-hmm. to here was Matthias Pub. Remember Matthias Pub? No, on I don't. 1960 on the south side. Of, you know, see, again, you guys are way, way younger than I am. Matthias Pub was, pub was a, you know, they, they had a beer wall. You, there was three rooms. They had live music in the middle. Okay. Pl- I actually played there a couple of times back in the day. Uh, had a in the middle there was a wall the wall beers were lined up on you know it was this was all imports right uh-huh. this was before the microbrew days and then they had like a pool hall like a, you know shoot billiards in one room and then they had a pretty nice little restaurant in the other section it was an awesome place and uh and, and, and it was the kind of deal where you could try all these beers and you get a t-shirt kind of thing you know i never did that but, okay but that was our place to go try different beers and and it was, it was a, like a british pub you know but but more to it than that so that's pretty cool yeah that was i think it closed down probably in the late 90s or early 2000s you're on the ground ground floor on a lot of this stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah that, that was uh i just anyway i had to flash back to those two places drinking this anchor porter but that that's cool and that's part of the fun of our, our podcast as well is like the 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 beer history of houston is super super rich right we've talked to new magnolia which is an homage brewery to uh magnolia brewing who was here at the turn of the century um Actually, having uh, Vince Mandeville in the the hot tub, and that was he, a treat. He's the guy who is currently the head brewer at Eighth Wonder, but he got his start. Uh, gosh, he's he got his start at seventeen, riding his bicycle over to DeFalco's, the homebrew shop, to make his own beer, and and just kind of building from there. Mm-hmm. But there's there's all these neat little beer stories, little haunts mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. went and visited mm-hmm. to where it went from imports to now. All right, now right. we got Houston beer. Now we're bringing in beer mm-hmm. around the country. Uh, this evolution of beer mm-hmm. of what it is has been in the Houston area, and it's been fun to travel, right? Oh, we're gonna find them all. We're gonna find them all. Well, and and we get to find one of the newest ones. This fortress is is probably one of the the most recent that we've had in the Houston area in 2018 um, this porter I'm gonna go back to this porter it does I, I like what you said like there is there is no confusion about the fact that this is a porter whether it's barrel aged or not because it's not super thick it's not super heavy it does not carry the weight of a stout Excuse me for a uh, for a porter. It's eight percent alcohol per volume, which is going to be a little bit higher than a normal porter. But it is aged in a in a uh, in a bourbon barrel, whiskey barrel. Excuse me. Um, either way, uh, to me, this beer. I'm going to go ahead and rate, and then I'm going to throw it on you two guys. Uh, I'm going to go. This beer is a three seven five six four two. This is this is up there for me. This is nice. This is something that I can sit like the sun is starting to come out. It's starting to warm up a little bit. This beer still has a very nice place in the hot tub for me. Do you want to start? Uh, I w- you know, I, just because, it, the, as you guys heard, the nostalgia that this brought back to me. And, and uh, hey, I used to like to drink. I used to be more adventurous about drinking. I'm going to give it a 3.9999999, man. Nice. Yeah, because it's just. Good job. It's, I, I always like to porter anyway, and I haven't drank one in a long time. And it's like, oh, yeah, man, this is this is, this is is how you drink beer. You, you know, you, you know, you know. Put a lime in your Corona, and you know you could do that. Drink too, it all up. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this is uh, it, it. Kind of took me back a little bit to where I used to 
like to more adventurous about trying beers and that kind of thing. So I'm gonna give it a 3.9 in, infinitum. Nice, I like that. Uh, so originally I was gonna go 3.75, and then apparently me and Tim hang out too too much <laughs> together because he gave it a 3.75651 maybe or somewhere something around there, somewhere yeah, yeah. around there. So I'm just gonna you know screw you 3.76. Okay. Uh, well done. Very very well done. Uh, the bourbon is super well balanced. The body is 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 great. It's like a it's like a porter without being super residual. Um, I would have never known marshmallow um, had Tim not said anything. But yeah. to me, marshmallow comes off like caramelized sugar and vanilla. And when you say that, I do get a little bit of vanilla in there, so okay. it's not like it's gone completely unnoticed. Uh, Carbonation is great. Overall, good beer, guys. Um, I know this is going to be one of the earlier of the Barrel Age series they, they have done, but I expect big things in the future. Yeah, I would say this is going to be the best of the three that I tried. Like, n- none of the beers were bad. They were all they were all good beers, but I want to say this is the best out of the three that I've tried. Um, barrel aging is not easy. Barrel aging is not easy, and then when you, when you barrel age a porter, um, I still want to taste the porter. I don't want to feel like I'm drinking a barrel-aged stout that's labeled as a porter. I like the fact that the style still shines through on this one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really good. It's, if you're used to drinking a barrel-aged stout, and that's what you're looking for when you drink this beer, you're not going to get it. Like mm-hmm. it, it, is, it stays true to style, which is, which is kind of cool and unique uh, right now. Yeah, and that's what I love is I don't know who actually was the hands-on brewing and, and uh, cellaring of this one, but it tastes like it was done the, the appropriate or proper way of put it in the barrel and, and let it go until you decide to pull it out and then back blending fresh beer from the same beer back into it to give it back that body and give it yeah. back that balance. And that's the way it tastes. And if they didn't do that, wow. I mean, just like, congratulations, you really pulled something off. Yeah. But that's that's it tastes like it's done right with a little bit of back blending to make sure that everything stays in line, stays in balance. And it, it technically, it's, it's pretty freaking on par. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, guys... Thank you all for joining us on Hot Tub Beers today. Kent, thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday to come and talk with us, uh, to drink some beer with us, to uh, maybe step out of your uh, beer comfort zone and try some new beers with us. Uh, we really did appreciate it. Loved your input, uh, both in the conversation about the, your life as a musician, an educator, and a community member, as well as your uh, your input on the beer. Uh, it was fun. I really enjoyed the entire stinking episode. Um, and so as, we, as we're heading off, when we're done talking, you're actually going to play us off, even though you're not actually playing, because we're going to play the recording oh, here. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So we have an intro and an outro. Both are done by uh, Kent Honeyboy Nelson. Uh, so if you if you like what you're hearing, if you like the music, please make sure that you go uh, find Kent. He's going to be playing at Swanee's uh, on March 19th. Crawfish Boil. At the Crawfish playing Bowl. Playing at Swanee's on March 4th, and I'm playing at Thistle. Thistle, draft shop. This will draft shop on March nineteenth. Yep, we there just we worked go. it out. So I hope I hope everything works out great. Hell yeah! <laughs> well, it's on the podcast now. It has. It's, it's it's official. Otherwise, I'm a liar. So guys, <laughs> if you like what you're listening to, please make sure that you like, subscribe. Please rate us at a five If you rate us five less than five you're probably a coward. Please make sure that you sit there and hit that uh, button. Make sure that you're sharing it with all your friends and family. Uh, if you like the podcast that much and you would like to make sure that the hot tub stays warm, you can support us for as little as ninety nine cents a month for as much. Three hundred and sixty-four dollars and ninety-nine cents a month, and and these are all these are all subjective, but they do show your level of love towards us. So please make sure that you're uh, you're you're liking, you're listening, you're subscribing, you're sharing. And until next time, guys.
Enjoy your hot tub beers. Cheers. Cheers. Noise. Hot tub beers. Slip on into the water. Hot tub Pilsners, boxing weeks, having hot tub beers, just my friends and me.